0: You can reach us at proponacy.com. You are being forwarded to the contact center code. Have you ever noticed that everything is owned by someone? I know that seems kind of stupid and pretty self-evident, but whether I go into a small town or a large city and I see building after building after building, I know that someone owns every one of those buildings. And I think I know that because I don't own any of those big, large buildings, but someone does. And if you're sitting there going, well, yes, Michael, but you know they're owned by major corporations, not necessarily. One percent of the 27 million companies in the United States are publicly owned or owned in the stock market, and 86 percent of firms that are over 500 employees are private. So odds are pretty good when you see some big honkin' building or ship or private airplane, somebody owns those. And I, if you're sitting in your house, you say, "Well, hey, I own my house." Or Maybe you own your desk, or you own the books on your desk, or you own the pens, but you own something. And of course, if somebody owned it, that means that somebody sold it to them. And that's equally as fascinating to me because everything that you see everywhere around you was sold probably more than once because it was sold from maybe a manufacturer to a distributor who then turned it over to a store, and then you purchased it. And so everything is sold that you see around you, and we buy things all the time. Well, that means that somebody's selling those things, and nothing creates more agitation when you're talking to people and you ask them, you know, what they do, and if somebody says they're in sales, invariably somebody else goes, "Oh, I, I could never be, I could never be in sales. I, I couldn't do that. I could do a lot of jobs, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't sell." And of course, if you really start to, to grind away at them a little bit and you say, well, okay, tell me one of the things that you really, really like. And they mention the fact that they've got uh, the most spectacular fishing rod that they've, they've ever used. And you said, well, do you think you could sell that? Oh, oh absolutely, I absolutely could sell that because I, I know it and I love it and I trust it. And so the, everybody has the capacity to sell, but very few people want to sell. And yet there is a very large breed of people out there that do sell and they sell over the telephone. And so what I thought we would talk about today in podcast 44 is sales culture. And when I'm talking about the sales culture, it doesn't mean that anything that you've learned in the service culture or you've learned in the, in the leader culture or in the enterprise culture I'm not saying that any of those aren't important because they are, and you do have to have a number of those attributes in a sales culture. But I do think that salespeople are a little bit unique. And as a result, if you're looking to create a sales culture, one that you're selling over the phone, I think there's some attributes that you need to have. and, That's what this podcast is about. And I'm assuming that you clicked on it because it said sales culture, and you read some snippy comment from me that said, Hey, if you listen to this, you're going to learn a little bit about sales culture. So here we go. Let's get to it. Number one on the list of the things that you need to have a great sales culture is it needs to be competitive. And If you're going to have a sales culture, it needs to be a competitive culture. It needs to be daily. There needs to be lots and lots of winning in competitions. And the reason there needs to be lots and lots of winning is because if you're selling, there is so much losing. There's so many times that salespeople fail that having a competitive environment where they have an opportunity to win along with their winning sales, it creates the kind of environment that you're looking for. And that competition needs to be equal as best you can. And if you've ever listened to my other podcasts, you know, I think some of the best competitions you can have is roses versus roses or daisies versus daisies or weeds versus weeds. When you have competition that's equal, it keeps the rosens from winning everything. And I know you already are probably rolling your eyes saying, well, that's exactly what happens in my service culture is we run these competitions and the same people win over and over again. That's because you're not making them equal. And when we make them equal, when we get the roses to compete with the roses, it challenges them. It gets them to, to be successful and to an excel. But you especially need that in a, in a sales environment because you need to have a lot of winning. And the competition doesn't need to just be about total sales. It can be about the accomplishments or the things that you do that add up to being successful in sales. And competitions could be as simple as being in your seat on time or, or asking the the critical probing questions or making sure that you cover the key components of the sales cycle, whether you get the sale or not, you start measuring those because we know that if we've created a basic sales process or sales cycle, that if you follow it, it's going to be the place that you're the most successful. And I've seen this in grain competition in organizations that where they're literally so competitive that they're racing to the soda machine. Or when they get to the soda machine, they've got competitions where they have to be able to overcome objections and... You know, Diet uh, Diet Dr. Pepper is the soda of the day. And if you're a new hire and you're just getting into selling and you happen to be anywhere near the soda machine and some more experienced person to you says, you know, can't, can't quite decide what type of soda to have. Well, then you have to go into some sort of an adage and explain why they should buy the Diet Dr. Pepper on that particular day. I think I told you that I, that I saw this at Dell a long time ago and they were just one of the most competitive organizations that I've ever seen. And then, of course, when we're competing, we can we can always add you know trifectas and perfectas and superfectas and different ways to mix multiple different competitions together. So it doesn't just have to be one thing. it can be a combination of a m- multiple number of things. But competition is something that you need to just feel when you walk into a sales culture. And if you're the kind of person that says, "Well, man, all that competition is going to kind of stress me out," well, then odds are pretty good. You're probably not fit for. Or, or don't have the highest potential of being great at sales. And I'm not saying you need to be one of these people that the only way it works is if you're in a competition, but but, but sales breeds competition. It encourages competition, and it's something that you have to celebrate. And it's part of the culture that you have to have. So after competition, the second thing that you have to be, to have as a sales culture and a context-centered environment is that the customer has to be first. And You've seen me explain this when looking at, at reporting and looking at data that you give to a frontline employee whether they're service or sales, and that is I've told you that the, the customer comments need to be first, they don't need to be the highest priority because you may have some other KPIs, but getting your customer's data to the to the employees first, make sure that they know that the customer is first and they're keeping them important in your mind. But the, the sales customer first is a little bit different. And that's because We have to solve the yes problem right out of the gates when we're selling. And that yes problem or equation is simply, does the customer we're speaking to, do they have a problem and do they care? Which means, are are they in a position to actually purchase something? And of course, we find that out, but do they have some sort of a problem? Because we're assuming they're calling us because they're trying to they're trying to get something or solve a problem or get a service. And then of course, we're defining how much they care about it, which will tell us whether we're going to be able to make a sale with them on the phone today. And it's also customer first, because we have to make sure as a culture that we listen, listen, listen. And this is so important right from the start. It's why we, we have a culture of customer first, because... We have to listen immediately because getting the right start on a sales call over the the phone is everything because selling is so much about trust and first impressions matter and they really matter when we've got to sell something in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever that amount of time is. Getting off to the right start Getting off to where I'm building trust right from the beginning, listening early, and understanding and making a connection with the customer is huge. And the only way that we can do that is to recognize that our on switch turns on, which is the customer's first, and we put ourselves in a mode that we're going to listen, and we're going to get off to a great start because we're going to build trust. So that's why the second sales culture attribute that you have to have is the customer first. Third up is product or service smart er every organization no matter what you're doing whether it's sales or service you have to understand the products because without understanding the products or services that you're selling it's a recipe for disaster you're going to get bad quality monitoring scores you're going to get bad CSAT scores you're going to you're just going to get bad overall scores because you don't know what you're doing because you're not communicating knowledgeably and, and the best and most successful people when they're servicing on the phones are people that understand their products and services because it allows them to solve the customer's problem immediately. Well, this same knowledge skill gets ramped up even more when you're selling because knowing the answer every time gives you a better chance of being successful when you're selling. And you can never miss it the second time. So if I make a call and I don't understand it and I, and I, I miss something, I better make sure that I understand it the next time that I, that I, that I speak because I, I need to master that data. Because knowing the answer, knowing your product, knowing your service is mission one if you're going to sell over the phone. And that means the training has to be ongoing. A constant reminder, constant updates, constant quizzes, constant reinforcement, uh constant product updates, constant examples of different ways and, and overcoming objections and, and what the particular product matches are or service matches are and how you can do those. If you want to be successful, you have a culture that that your organization is smarter. They're they their product and service smarter. And I'm adding the er just for an emphasis. Obviously, we need to be product service smart, but we need to be product service smart er if we're going to be successful and have a great sales culture that makes a difference. Next up in a, in a sales culture is, is we have to be able to push the line. Now, when we talk about a line, you've, you know, let me say it in the negative way. Oh, man, you went over the line. You, you, you went over the line. You shouldn't have gone over the line. You crossed over the line. You went too far. And you'll hear that every once in a while in sales where somebody's crossed the line, right? We did something, we went more than we should have. Well, I understand that, and you're not supposed to cross the line, and I am not telling anybody that they should cross the line, but man, we need to get pretty close to that line. And let me give you some examples. That's the difference between enthusiasm and exaggeration. We need to be as enthusiastic as we can be when we sell, but not exaggerate. We need to be aggressive, but we can't be obnoxious we need to have competitive research but we're not cheating and stealing and we need to be we need to find that fine line between comfortable and uncomfortable because in sales there are instances where it's our responsibility with the client to help them be a little bit uncomfortable so that they can recognize and understand the needs and wants that they may have so that we can help them to purchase the product. And and remember, all we're trying to do when we're selling is we're trying to sell customers things that they need. We don't want to sell things to people that they don't need. We want to sell things to customers that they want. And then most important, we want to share with them things that they may not have known that they needed or wanted, but after they talk to us, then they recognize that they have a need or they recognize that they have a want. And so as an example, comfortable versus uncomfortable might just simply be a, a, a silence. We may need to have a little bit more uncomfortable silence, which is something we wouldn't have in a service call, but in a sales call, asking a probing question that, that opens up uh, a client to understand a potential pitfall that they have where your product or service may be able to fill that, we may want to have a silence that that lasts just a little bit longer that's a little bit uncomfortable. And I know that if you're you're in the sales business and you've ever closed, you recognize sometimes that when you have to ask for the order, you have to create a little bit of silence after that because the that you wanna let the client make the decision on whether they want to purchase or not. And so it creates an opportunity to have some silence. Another one is a challenging question. Sometimes you have to ask a more challenging question and then have some silence and wait for them to answer. And it's an environment where, where we're very open about the fact that we're selling, we're very open about the fact that whether it's a consultative sale or a friendly sale or a no pressure sale or whatever combination you wanna have, you are selling. And so I encourage you to embrace that selling and, and to recognize that, that it is your responsibility to push the line. We don't go over the line, but we push the line. And then the final the final sales culture tool that we have is one that we have in service and we have in enterprise, we have everywhere, and that is being performance measured, which means we need to be great at measuring. And of course, we're measuring competitions, but we're also measuring performance. And it needs to be a culture thing that everybody knows Exactly how they're measured. We don't measure anything in the organization that we have no intention of changing. We measure accomplishments. We, we do this performance measurement knowing that we've got roses, daisies, and weeds. So setting some sort of a target way out there that a daisy can never achieve isn't going to help you. But we, we, we build an organization that has performance measurements that everybody understands. If you heard me say this once, maybe twice, if you've listened to all 44 podcasts, first off, thank you. Send me a note. I would love to hear from you. mtamer at proponacy.com. But we're we're building the, the type of performance measurement that makes sure that everybody is crystal clear and they understand exactly how they're measured, exactly how they're paid. And if you want the three keys to an employee's success, they are exactly that, knowing exactly how they're measured, exactly how they're paid. Second of all, they know exactly what their job description is and, and every piece of it they know exactly what they're doing. And third, they've got a boss who's got their best interest in mind. And if you put those three components together, you've built an opportunity for someone to flourish in an organization because they can see it. But in a sales environment, it's even more critical that they understand how they get paid. And if you've got a commission structure or a bonus structure, being able to clearly lay that out makes a difference. Culture is one of those things that creates a competitive advantage because it creates a competitive advantage that allows you, A, to compete against those other companies that you're competing with in the world, but second, it gives you an advantage in being able to hold on to employees, to be able to attract and keep successful employees, and it creates an environment for people to grow to succeed and to succeed more. And when they do that, they don't want to go away and they want to just keep doing better. And that's the kind of culture that you need to be a successful organization that sells over the phone. Well, there you go. Let me repeat them once again for you. Sales culture is competitive. It's customer first. It's product service smarter. It's pushing the line and it's being performance measured. Well, that's it for podcast 44. We didn't spend that many minutes together, but hopefully the minutes that we spent together were valuable to you. If there's a particular podcast that you'd like to hear, please reach out and get a hold of me. Otherwise, listen, I know you're capable of being a great leader. I tell you that every single week. And if I know it, you should know it as well. So why don't you just go out there and prove it. And if you want to share with me some of the ways that you've been a great leader, I'd love to hear those as well. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Bye-bye now being forwarded to the contact center coach.